Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming to you guys once again, just from the conclusion of UFC San Diego going down at the Pechanga Arena in San Diego, California, where Marlon Vera just officially introduced his, himself into the bantamweight top contenders ranks with a head kick knockout of Dominic Cruz in the fourth round. And honestly, for a card that didn't have a co-main event, this thing really delivered. This is two straight events now where the UFC really just kind of threw a bunch of fights on cards and they have absolutely delivered. Man, the amount of violence we were blessed with tonight is phenomenal. Ever since you quit playing with those voodoo dolls, we have been on fire. It's true. We got a little bit of everything tonight, too. We had a draw. We had split decisions, majority decisions, brutal knockouts, everything but submissions. Oh, no, we had a club and sub. What am I talking about? We had one. We had a club and sub. Third round. We had everything. Gerald Mearshart outboxing Bruno Silva. Who would have? Out kickboxing. Out kickboxing him. Man, this card was great. And a fight of the year candidate on top of all that. Absolutely. Just just one of the greatest cards ever. I'll even go that far. In terms of pure action. Yeah. I mean, in terms of pure action, it's hard to match. It's hard to think of a card where so many of the decisions on the card were also thrilling. You know, where like Uh, everything was just... Super fun. I mean, there were some prelims that we've already forgotten about because they happened five years ago on the prelims, and who cares? Um, But this card was absolutely fantastic. All the action and late knockouts, early knockouts, big, you know, we got the submission. We got absolutely the stupidest fighting possible. We got some smart fighting in there. It's just it was a good time. Yeah, I had a great time. This was yeah. this was just fun all the way through. Like all yep. the way through, I was engaged. So let's go ahead and talk about our main event here: Marlon Vera, Dominic Cruz, and man, like I I had this this gut feeling. I decided to run with that. Like maybe Marlon Vera just hasn't seen Dominic Cruz before. Like, this might be which, which is true. Which is true because yeah. he hadn't. Yeah. And like this might just be he might fall behind early to because he always falls behind early in every fight. And then Cruz is a really hard dude to catch up to the people who have beat Cruz in general. You're Henry Cejudo. You're uh, what's his name? Uriah Faber. Well, Uriah Faber, but uh, Cody Garbrandt, Cody Garbrandt. They did. They were out ahead of him all fight. They were faster than him all fight. They were, and they were sharper than him from the jump. There are not many fighters, other than Uriah Faber, who, finishing him in one round. I mean, even Uriah Faber, he finished him in the first round. There are not any uh, many other. There are not any other fighters who have ever been able to fall behind Dominic Cruz and catch up to him. Now, no. he's getting older, so. It was more likely than ever to happen now, but 
I was I wanted to see it happen with with Marlon Bear before I just believed it. And man, he pulled it out like he really, you know, Connor, my the my vivisection co-host was talking about how like he turned around one day and suddenly Marlon Vera is Yol Romero, and he didn't hmm. know where that happened. Yeah, and, no kidding! Wow, what an excellent comparison. Right, like he is just out there. He is stoic as hell. You cannot can you cannot you, you can't stop him from pressuring. You cannot convince him to not come forward for hell or high water. He's flat-footed, and he just has crushing power at this point in his career. And I think it's got to come. so crazy. Yeah. He used to be just this loose cannon. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's got to come from having built so much confidence over so much experience that he's had now that he just knows he can stand in there and he can take the shots. He's not bouncing around. He's not light on his feet. He is planted. And if he hits you when he is planted like that, he is hitting you with all the force he has. And Yeah, I, I think it was like – I think it was like at the end of the sixth round last week. Uh, you were mentioning this card was coming up. And and like yeah. I felt – I told you this. I felt – I was worried for Dom here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like I felt this, I had the same feeling I had when he fought Frankie Edgar. Like I, I felt yeah. like I'm, I'm concerned for his health, which is never a good thing no. uh, to feel. But I, I feel that's what I feel when fighters are getting to a certain point in their career. And like, I didn't really have any, any evidence outside of that gut feeling that it was going to happen to Dom, but just yeah. knowing how long he had been around and, his style is just it's predicated on being tough and using his movement and his angles and as he starts to age and slow down you know he doesn't get out of the way as fast yeah and what did him in here was his his classic you know i'm gonna throw a strike and then dip off in this crazy angle to get out of harm's way whatever's coming back but marlon just had his timing down and that speed that Cruz typically has, uh, you know, it's just not what it used to be naturally. And yep. this was the first time that he really paid for that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot of what Cruz does too is it's very like he kind of has a preset plan when he sets it in motion. You know, he's jumping in and he's always been good at adjusting on the fly. So it's not like he has a preset plan and he just can't do anything else if he sees something else. But a lot of times, nonetheless, he jumps in, he throws stuff, and he's just like, okay, I've got a planned escape route coming out of this, and this is what it's going to be. And the way he tends to move and the way that he turns and the way that he gets out of the way of things, sometimes it means he's, hide- he's hiding his eye line from his opponent. So that in the case of something like this, this high kick comes up, and he's got, you know, he he doesn't, he can't see it. He can't see what Marlon Vera is doing in that moment because in that moment, his focus is all turned on. I am getting away, and I should be out of range to be hit. Right. And but he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It is. It it is. I had that same feeling. I I saw that gut feeling was all over. People were all over the internet being like, man. Dominic's going to get crushed out there. I don't want to see it or, you know, be ready. And I'm just like, I, I'm ignoring that because 
I haven't seen it happen enough. Like I said, when Dom's lost in the past, all of his other losses, he was beat on speed out of the gate. Like it was just somebody coming out there faster than him who could be faster than him all the way through. And I didn't see that in Vera. I didn't see him as somebody who was just going to be faster than Cruz. And he wasn't. Another but, thing is like he's he can't take strikes like he used to. No, that is definitely true. So if you look at that fight with Cody Garbrandt, that was a, a clearly a career best performance for Cody, hands yeah. down. Like that was his pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Like he will never be able to replicate that. But he dropped Cruz so many times in that fight. Yeah, like he was piecing him up, and that was the first time we've ever seen that happen to Dominic Cruz. And then in his next fight with Henry Cejudo, which well, like four four years later or something, mm-hmm. uh, Cejudo caught him with that nasty knee. It was might have been like a head kick, but the knee landed or whatever it was. And I'm like, man, he's getting melted out here. And then he took a gigantic step down in competition, and like barely won a decision over Casey Kenny. Yeah. And then you know he comes back up and fights Pedro Munoz, who's who's a good fighter, solid fighter, yep. quality fighter but doesn't have the same sort of venom as a Marlon Vera. And I just, I didn't believe that Cruz would be able to stand up to the the venom that Vera has. And at first I was like, well, maybe he can in that first round. But as soon as he stepped in with that naked leg kick and got dropped with the left hook, I I said, this is over. This is a wrap. Yeah. That was definitely one of those things where I'm sitting there watching that and looking at my pick and thinking, Okay, well, that was a mistake, you know. And nonetheless, he gutted it. He won, went out and won the rest of that round. He won that round back, getting dropped. He came Not out and he won opinion, the second right. drop. What? I don't think he did. I don't know I mean, what he did you're talking the, about. He did on the cards. Well, on my card, he didn't. Okay. Like, how do you, did, you every, get knocked down? How do you get knocked down? I, still? I am, you know I'm on your side on this, but all the judges gave him the round. I gave him the second round. He, he definitely then came back and won the second round, too. And that's then the, the third, in my opinion. No, yeah, the third. That's when the power really started making a difference. That's when it was became a point where Cruz was starting to slow down just a little. And so he was having more and more even exchanges with Vera. And then it's just like, well, you can't have even exchanges and then get dropped by every 10th strike. Like, that's just not going to be, you know. That's not going to last. I can't help but feel for Cruz. Like, he comes out in that first round. He's doing great. He is, like, doing the very best he could possibly do, cutting all the angles, mixing things up beautifully, Mm -hmm. head kicks, blitzing with punches, snagging takedowns, like, just on fire, firing on all cylinders. And then, bam, left hook just drops him. And it's just, like, all that work. Yep. Just just all for naught. Yeah. And you do wonder how how much, like – how much losing can his ego take like that? Because, you know, like, he did not handle losing to Henry Cejudo all that well. No, but, I mean, he's top. He's a top-level competitor, and you, gotta, he, you, he, you, you can't fault him for that. No, I, I can't. I can't fault him for that. It's just, I mean, you do wonder if this is, if, uh, how, how close to the end of Dominic Cruz's MMA run are we? How How dedicated is he going to be to wanting to get back out there if he's not going to be, fighting all the best dudes in the world all the time, you know? 
clear yeah clearly the the, the title is what he wants and what he's been yeah. after and like even in like when i was writing up the betting odds over a bloody elbow for this i even put you know Cruz is a major underdog here, but like his real opponent is Father Time. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he, Dominic Cruz won the WEC title before Marlon Vera had his first professional fight. Yeah. Like the dude has high, high mileage, mm. and for him to even be in this match is a is a miracle in 2022. Yeah. So like. He- he has nothing to be ashamed of, and he could ride off into the sunset right now and and be happy. Mm-hmm. Or he can come back for one more fight and get a uh, maybe get a win over anybody, and then go off on a win like Nina Nunes yeah. did tonight. Yeah, perfectly yeah, fine. I mean, with that. You you match Cruz down up, you know, lower down the division with somebody I don't know, just at the edges of the top fifteen. I'm trying to think of who that might be right now. Uh. Yeah. It's got to be uh, someone worth it, though. Like someone. Yeah, I mean, because that's the idea. You know, a lot of people are throwing out the, the the Jose Aldo fight. I will always be up for that. And I would be up for it. It's it is a legacy fight to make, but it does feel like. I think uh, Frankie Edgar though is really. Yeah, that. Like they that, both can end on that note. That is somebody at the bottom of the division who would be the right kind of opponent right like now. Like they they fight to a draw and then they both retire. That would make uh, me so uh-huh. happy. That's like yeah. Maybe you should break out the voodoo dolls and try for this one. Yeah, maybe. Otherwise, you're looking at maybe somebody like Ricky Simone or something. I don't want to see that. I know. And that's the thing is like I'm gonna start being afraid for his health against guys who you know. Back in the day, I would never pick over Donald yeah. Cruz. Yeah, and that's why I'm wondering too. Like, for somebody like him who is such a fierce competitor, how how many more? How much more of this does he want to go through? You gotta wonder. Maybe he'll go and do stand up like Frankie Edgar's doing. Yeah, but that's like UFC fight pass stand up. I mean, he's not. Gonna, they're not going to cut an album. He's not going to like <laughs> go on the circuit. They're not going to do fight pass stand up events in like every city around the U.S. No, I mean he's a brilliant analyst. Like he's, yeah. he's he yeah. can commentate. Wow. He's, he has he's, a future outside of the sport. He's an analyst. I'll give you that. Uh, I'm I'm less sold on the brilliance as you are, but he bickers a lot, and that counts for something. What he's a brilliant analyst. What are you talking about? The way he like the way he strategizes and game plans. Like the way he can analyze a fight is phenomenal. The way he can analyze his, the way he can plan for his own fights is is phenomenal. It's Every, brilliant. Everybody he does, else, I'm less, I'm less, he I'm does, less. he will, he will glitch out and just yes. can constantly get on an underhook convo or, for or, or just shaker with Joe Rogan for like three hours straight. Oh man, we got DC and, and Bisbing going at it a little I bit know, at the beginning of I this know. card. Yeah, that was kind of it, fun. It's, it's definitely a thing. I don't know. Anyway, good on Marlon Vera. And he, hey, he had the right attitude afterward too. You know, the DC's like, you want to get the title shot, calling, calling for the title shot. And all. I was like, you know what? There's some other fights coming up that are going to happen. UFC's get selected, they select. I want to fight somebody, and I will get to the belts. And I mean, right now, you do, you no matter what, whether he gets it this year or next year or whatever, I do absolutely expect to see Marlon Vera fighting for UFC gold in the next couple of years. 
You yeah, know? oh, of course. Unless he's like, unless something crazy happens. Yeah, I mean, he could even lose and just the 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 amount of fun he is and the amount of power he has on display and the kind of fights he puts on, he will be one win away. He would be right back one win away from fighting for the belt again, you know? Like, he really is in that Yul Romero space where you're just like, you know, didn't you just lose? And how are you getting a title shot already? But I still want to see it, you know? Like, I want to see him, you fight for the belt. And I, I think the UFC will will pull the trigger on that within the next year or so. Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. Like Al Cho and TJ Dillashaw are going to go at it soon. You got Peter Yawn and O'Malley going at it for some reason. Yep. And then you got uh, Sanhagen and Song Yadong coming out, going out soon. Yeah. So and, I think maybe maybe one more match for Marlon. He gets another dub. Yeah. He's in there. He gets the winner of Sandhagen versus Song, or he gets the winner of Yan versus O'Malley, and maybe you do the winner of it's Aldo and um, who's he fighting? I have um, no idea. Who's he booked against? Jose Aldo? Yeah. Aldo is fighting... Divishvili, maybe? Yeah, Divishvili. Maybe the winner of that gets the title shot. You know, whatever. And we do Vera another fight, and then if he wins that next fight, he gets it afterward. I don't know. Either way... It's, they're all fun fights, so that's they're the They're all fun part. fights, yeah. Bantamweight is an awesome division right now. Has been for years, but even more so right now. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout, fight of the year contender, right up there. I mean, way dumber, but right up right. there with Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prashazka for fight of the year honors. Mm-hmm. Nate Landwehr, David Onama, and this fight was just absolutely insane obviously it won fight of the night it had to win fight of the night uh vera and tyson nam won performance of the night bonuses which is a shame because everybody else on this card should have won performance bonuses as well um but land where onama i mean onama comes out practically kills nate Landwehr right right out of the gate with one twos <laughs> I was thinking, like, I, I was as I was typing, I was like, I don't know how long Nate Landwehr can keep trying to play this long-range kicking game against David Onama without getting hurt, and he just gets dropped. And then he gets dropped again. And I'm like, okay, well, n- not at all longer. And he went out the second time he got dropped, got woken up on the ground by ground and pound, and then storms back. And... Onama spends all his gas tank. Landwehr storms back to the point that he stops himself from getting 10-8 in the first round. Brings it back to a 10-9. Onama still won the round, no question. And then he comes back and he 10-8 David Onama in the second round, just absolutely crushing him. No question. And then he decides that, I mean, he's getting tired. So I get that. And Onama was super slippery on the ground and was constantly able to regain positions on Landwehr on the ground whenever Landwehr would try anything. So I get why Landwehr would keep just like standing up out of highly dominant grappling positions and then just posturing and waving to the crowd and letting Onama up. 
but he does that well, it was so, so it was it was so slick out there that when once he yeah. wasn't once he kept losing positions on those anaconda attempts he yeah. was like okay enough enough of this this is just going to end up with me on the bottom losing yeah i can't i can't go for these anymore and i think he did the right thing by standing back up because he should have kept it standing yeah kind of he did the right thing standing up, except that he did it to the point that Onama actually got enough of a second win back to start beating his ass right at the end of the fight. Yeah, but think of all the fans he gained. I know, no, it was super fun. It was it was the most wild and, you know... Just electric. It was absolutely. an electric fight. Yes. It was absolute blast, thriller of a fight. Landwehr posturing to the crowd. Then Onama gets up in like the third round and is like waving his finger at him. He can barely even stand upright. <laughs> and then starts uncorking right hands on Landwehr that have a Landwehr looking like he's on, you know, he's on Dream Street again, practically stumbling around. And then he comes back and grabs the clinch and starts kneeing Onama in the head. And Onama goes down again. You're like, oh God, this has got to be over. And then he lets Onama up. He's inside control and he just lets him up. And Onama just starts swinging on him. Landwehr is in a heap at the end of the fight. The ref's coming in, and Landwehr's stumbling all over the place to the point that one one judge actually gave David Onama that third round, scored the whole thing a draw. I don't I don't think that that was right, but yeah. it was wild as hell. Uh, but in in a fight like this, I can see how someone can lose track, even even yeah. a judge, even an yeah. official. It's easy to get caught up in the moment and lose track of how much damage is being dealt out. And I mean, it was just so much fun and so exciting and just so engaging. This is one of the greatest fights ever. Like, not the most technical, definitely technical, but super sloppy, super sloppy, not a lot of relevance, but one for the ages for sure. Yep, just absolutely brutal war of a fight both men i mean it's just one of those times where you know you always hate it as a fan when you see a close ugly slow fight and then after the fight's over one person's like doing push-ups or running around the cage or like they they start jawing at each other after the fight and like pushing each other you're just like where was all this energy Right. When we when you were having the fight, we just watched. This is the opposite of that. We're just like they spent every last ounce of breath they had down to the point that I mean, David Onama in the, in the at the end of the second round, you've got uh, James, James Krause, Krause in his corner. Yeah. Like, do you want to keep going? Do you want to keep going? You've got to keep going. Do you want to keep going? And Onama, he just like groans. Yes, he's like, yeah. Ugh, okay, dude, the 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 fortitude you have to have to get off that stool is really, that's just next level stuff right there. And, and the average man would not have gotten up. Yeah, and it and he, you know, the round still ended up like a thriller. He mm-hmm. was dead. Uh, that is, you are spending. You, that is how, like, you know. You can like refinance your house and they put money on, they, they add debt to the end of your loan that you have to pay off in the end. Yeah. But you get a bunch of cash right then to to do renovations and stuff. 
that is a life finance refinancing where he just took like five years off the end to get one more round to fight Nate Landwehr right there. Yeah, he had to go to that dark place Israel Adesanya talked about when he yeah. fought Kelvin Gastelum. Like that's some yeah. serious like soul searching. Like you mm-hmm. have to dig really deep to be able to eat like get off let alone get off the stool, have enough in you to get rocked and like throw up both of your like show your muscles, throw up your, your arms yeah. and show your muscles and then start swinging back. Like what? That's See, super like human. three knees to the face, go down in a heap and then get back up and like start flurrying. It's just it's insane. It was yeah. Fun as hell, and we will rarely see any see another fight like it for a long time. Million dollar performances from both guys, yeah. honestly. Yeah. That's the kind of thing. That is the kind of fight where you get you get a little pissed off when Dana's like Dana White's like these guys are making what they're supposed to be making. It's like they Nate Landwehr and David Onama are not making what they're supposed to be making. Fifty thousand dollars is not an added bonus of fifty thousand dollars is not what they're supposed to be making for giving you that kind of performance this is this is some some gladiator type performances here yeah Yeah. respect to both guys yeah huge respect to both dudes ton of fun and then of course nate land we're out there calling out billy quarantillo calling out hurricane shane burgos he said he's gonna downgrade him to a tropical storm or something yes yes (laughs) i loved it it was hilarious. It was goofy. It was absolutely perfect. I would watch either of those fights in a heartbeat. Got you know, UFC is doing it is promotional malpractice if they do not try to make Nate Landwehr versus Shane Burgos. So yeah, he uh, he reminds me of a uh, a Tennessee version of Bryce Mitchell. Not the way he fights, but just his uh, microphone skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's. It's all heart and soul on there out there from that dude every moment. I mean, yeah, on the mic, on in the cage, you you know, you can tell that he's just given everything he has. So that was a ton of fun. And that brings it like then we got to go to this women's strawway <laughs> bout. Yasmin Haragi 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 versus Yasmin Lucindo. Two raw as hell, fresh-faced, young strawweights, totally make UFC debuts for both of them, unknown talents by and large. I mean, I think uh, Haragi, uh, Haragi had won a combate title maybe at some point, I believe. But still, you know, pretty raw, young, young, super young. talents. And they just went to war. Three rounds of just back and forth trading hooks in the pocket, just scrapping it out for three hard rounds. And both women looked better than they ever had before. Lucindo, I think that was a huge step up performance for her, way better than anything I'd seen from her on the regionals. And for Haragi, like, you know, that's... That's a damn fun performance. That's a great fight. No, this is it's, it's a shame they didn't get performance bonuses because this could have been fight of the night easily. Yeah, that's this what I'm was, saying. This was it was phone booth fighting, but on a napkin. 
Mm-hmm. Like you put a napkin in a phone booth and have people fight on it, and that was this. It was insane. The amount of composure on both sides from such young fighters to just stand there and just exchange multi-punch combos like in the pocket, like yeah. through the whole fight, like the whole fight. It's it's really it's unheard of for people to just bite down and trade like that, and yeah. and no one no one actually go down. That was a great fight, really good. Haragi, uh looking sharp with the you know she's got the sharper technique, the faster hands, the quicker, the better resets going out and getting her form back, collecting herself. But Lucindo just absolutely biting down with power, throwing in the pocket, totally fearless. Made it a hell of a fun fight, and you can't help but be excited to see what both of them do next. It, it really felt like there wasn't a loser here. No. Like, it, it sucks there's no there's there's the whole win bonus scheme going on, and it sucks they didn't get a performance bonus. It sucks yeah. they even have to rely on bonuses. Like, they fought their asses off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a card where the UFC just, they got really lucky, you know? They did not book this card to be this good. And the talent on it way overperformed. Yeah, everyone showed up, that's for sure. So that was awesome. I can't wait to see what either of them do next. And uh, yeah, just, I don't know, like, you know, there's no important fight for the, to make for either of them after this. There's a lot of development there. You know, it was good to hear Haragi um, saying afterwards, she's like, you know, this fight showed me there's some stuff I need to improve on. There's some steps I need to take, some changes I should make. This is kind of a little wake-up call for me. That's exactly what you want to hear out of a young fighter, out of a tough fight. But, you know, it's just, it's a good, it's great experience for both of them. That's the kind of, if you've got, if you're, you know, if you're in Lucinda's corner or you're a fan of hers and whatever, and you see a fighter, a young fighter going through and take a loss like that, like, that's a good quality prospect loss that's going to teach you things yeah she's 20 years old yeah like, for her to even fight at this like, caliber like yeah. this sort of skill set just the wherewithal to just stand there and trade the way she was and 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 i mean that third round she was coming on strong yeah. she was landing i thought she was getting the better of the strikes honestly she won the third round i scored the first two rounds for uh Haregi and Lucindo, I think, stole the third. Yeah, it was a, a fantastic fight from both women. Like, I, I just, the lack of payment is is kind yeah. of heartbreaking. It is. But the, the performances were, they proved why they were on the main card. Like, yeah, they this proved was why, a they, main... why they deserved that spot they got. No question. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Azamat Merzakhanov against Devin Clark. And um, Clark had one moment, he had one bright, shining moment in the first round where he landed this tricky little head kick as Merzikhanov was stepping in. And other than that, this was kind of a one-sided beating. Man, this this fight proves that I know nothing about MMA. So here's what. <laughs> so I picked Merzikhanov to win this, okay? Yeah, yeah. But I figured uh, Mirzakhanov would come out and have a really strong first round. And the longer the fight went on, I expected Clark to come back and Mm. find his own success later in the fight. 
and like the exact opposite happened. Clark ends up doing damage in the first with that head kick, wobbles Mirzakhanov at the end of the round, and then from then on out, Mirzakhanov is just he he fights so intelligently. He started, uh, you know, of course he's going to spam his overhand left. That thing is ridiculous. He reminds mm-hmm. me of Igor Vucheshkin. Yeah. Uh, and but like he started to attack the body. Yeah. Even even when the fight went to the ground, he was just going to town with elbows to the gut, which you rarely you you rarely see that. Usually, you know, you might see a couple body strikes, but he was just mercilessly attacking the body. And that that's in ended up being uh, you know, his his go-to. He landed that nasty left to the solar plexus, and that's what put Clark down. When yep. it first happened, I thought it was to the face. But no, he just <laughs> yeah. went center mass and and dropped Clark with that and it pounded on him and pounded shot. on him and pounded on him until Frank Trigg remembered he was actually a referee <laughs> and stopped the fight. Can't blame Frank. He's that he was probably just like in the he's probably like living vicariously in the moment, you know, remembering <laughs> his own days as a fighter, being like throwing his pumping his arms, getting like Chuck in that, you know, that classic clip, clip of Chuck Liddell watching the fights on the sidelines and starting like <laughs> doodle swings and stuff. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, the thing with Mirzakhanov that I, I was super impressed with in his last fight and that showed up big in this fight is that this is a dude who, no matter how hard the fight gets, no matter how much energy he spends, no matter what he has to go through, his form stays super controlled. Like, he can oh, do yeah. the same things with the same form over and over and over and over again, no matter how, no matter what's going on, no matter how he's feeling. And it's, it's a testament. You see it a lot out of a lot of these combat Sambo guys, where even if they're not the, like the most technically diverse, deepest, like, oh, prettiest throwing strikers out there, they've done it for so long. At, and have been basically just been sparring for so many years that it's all just pure muscle memory. And no, I, I love it, dude. Yes, yeah. it's, it's Igor Vucetchen, man. He's yeah. It's it's him reincarnated. Uh, it's insane. It's a lot of fun, and I love seeing it. It's a simple game, but man, does he do it well? And that like light heavyweight is the place to have that game. You don't have to bring a huge toolkit to the to the table if you can be fast and powerful for round after round after round. And know and, how to recover. Yeah. Because he after he got rocked with that head kick, he instantly clinched up and just held yep. it there. He's like, we're yep. going to stay here until the bell because I, I am rocked. And, I need, and I Clark need is strong, and he did not – Clark was not able to easily just bully Mirzakhanov in the clinch at any point. Which is good shows you know that's good good for Merzikanov as a, self, a dude who has self proclaimed that he could drop to middleweight if he wanted to. Yeah, I don't even think he needs to though. No, not right now. I mean, if you've got that kind of style and you've got that everything is clicking that way right now at light heavyweight, like push it until you get until somebody shows you you need to change. You know. Yeah, let's let's get him in there with like a an actual two o five er because Clark he's an eighty five er yeah. for the longest time. I, I'm kind of thinking like was he a one eighty five er Devin Clark? 
wasn't he? I don't think so. I mean, he's pretty he's pretty kicked up. He he had a middleweight fight, one middleweight fight in his first UFC bout, and that was uh, it. Why am I thinking he was a middleweight? I don't know. But uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking maybe uh, we just saw Nico Negamarianu in his last fight. Absolutely bullied that. Yeah, bully that young uh, Ukrainian dude. I'd love to see, especially given how tough Negamariano is. It'd be a, it'd be real interesting to see if Merzikhanov is sharp enough to hurt him. And if Negamariano brings that same sort of energy against someone like Merzikhanov. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. And that, like, you know, Negamariano is four and one in the UFC. You you win a fight like that, you're you're jumping right up into that. You know, then some a fight like Dustin Jacoby or Nikita Krylov or you know, those other kind of bouts, they, that's a pretty good jumping off point. Yeah, I, you know, we always say this. It doesn't take much to shoot to the top no. of heavyweight or light heavyweight. No. So, really especially when you're knocking fools out. Yeah. So, great fight for Merzikhanov. Man, for Clark, I got a feel for him so much because I was talking about this going into this fight and him feel, it just, it happens in almost every Devin Clark fight, so I gotta feel bad for it happening again right here, but, like, there are so many times in his fights where it just looks like he wants to stop fighting, and then he hears his incredibly upset, loud father in his corner berating him, and he's just like, oh, I gotta get back out there. Like, I would rather lose in here than lose my dad, to my, you know, my dad's respect. Yeah, and that is that is a tough place to be as a fighter, you know. Not only that, but like he has such horrible reactions to getting hit. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason. Like, I feel like it seems like he wants. It looks like he wants to stop in the cage, and he is like turning away, and he's going down, and he's on his knees, and then it's just like this booming voice of like, "Don't quit, Devin. You gotta get up." And then he's like, he just kicks off and he gets up and he goes back out there and he tries his damnedest to get back in the fight. And like, yeah, we don't, we don't, I don't get any of the Chris Weidman dad vibes where he's like, that's still my boy. No, no, it's Uh, just like, you are not my son if you don't get up right now vibes. You're not coming home. (laughs) Man, Clark. This is so on par for Clark, though. Like, he's always winning in the most ludicrous ways. Like, this wasn't even, like, a liver shot. This was, like, no. center mass, solar plexus punch. Just, like, the Alex like, Nicholson loss was crazy. The Jan, the, the Jan yeah. loss the was, like... The bulldog. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Just the, the bouncer choke. Yeah. You got to spin it back, face by a wreckage. It's always, it's always nonsense. It is. It is kind of always nonsense. But yeah, great win for Merzakhanov. Can't wait to see more of him out there. Rough loss for Clark. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout: Priscilla Cachoeira, Ariane Lipsky. Man, go! I ha- now. So you had your thing with Merzakhanov Clark, where you—I mean, at least you picked it right. But you get to feel like you don't know anything about MMA. This is my moment because I was like, man, Ariane Lipsky. She's more technical everywhere. And she's sharp enough and she hits hard enough that I think even if she does brawl with Cachoeira, she might be able to win that fight. That's a fight she could still win. Cachoeira goes out there, starts a brawl with her, and just smokes her. 
in a minute. <laughs> just like not even not even a close exchange of power. Like they're both landing hard in the pocket, but credit to Cashawara, she is hammered out of raw steel. You know? They, Dude, they Yeah, she got all the chi- she she stole all the chins when they were handing them out. Genetic <laughs> lottery. Yeah, and and she got she has, packs quite a punch also. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man, she just let her hands go and connected flush and never let Lipsky off the hook. And poor Lipsky, she tried to swing back while she was dazed. But... Oh yeah, I mean Lipsky's the kind of fighter. Like I knew, I, that's why I thought this would be end up being a brawl that Lipsky could even win is because you show Lipsky a brawl and she will brawl. You you show her that you want to go to war, and she will absolutely just start sit down and start swinging at you. But that was exactly the fight Cashewara needed, and she took it. So suddenly, Man. that we're on like what three straight wins for Priscilla Cashewara? Is it three I, straight? Yeah, no, no, that's just two straight. Okay, it's four for last five. It is four for last five, though. For a woman who lost three straight, including fights to Molly McCann and Luana Carolina, I am four out of five is a shock. Yeah, and uh, what three of them by by nasty knockouts? Yeah, she, like one was a standing TKO, but she is she is she's improving. Like the money, the training, the time. Because this is somebody who I think I am ninety nine percent sure that I am not misremembering that her. She basically started training by taking pro fights. You know. Mm, this is not somebody who who came into MMA with like a uh oh I'm going to uh have like a a long you know I'm going to train and get better and work my way and it's like no she started training and then started training and started taking pro fights immediately you know maybe she's just a natural fighter yeah, well, I, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, and she got—I mean, I think she was smart about it. Like, if you look yeah. at the early opponents' records, they're abysmal. Oh yeah, no. for the most part, they should be. She, she definitely was not ready for anything. But, but I mean, from the time she turned pro, I mean, like, what two years later she's fighting Valentina Shevchenko? Yeah, <laughs> that is—that's uh, not easy at all. But yeah. I'll, I'll say this about Lipsky, though, like. It's uh, you can always tell like, like what a fighter is like their their mo when they get rocked. Like some yeah. people they'll shoot takedowns, other people will try to just swing back, and Lipsky is just one of those swing back kind of people. Yep. Like she wants to hit you back, like you hit her, and I don't even know if that's something that you can train out of you, or yeah. if that's just who you are at the core. No, I think that's just this would have been pretty deep at this point. I mean, she's 28. She's been fighting for nine years now. Like that's just there. You're not, you know, you give Lipsky a brawl, she will brawl. And, this would have uh, been the perfect time for a desperation takedown. Yeah, I mean, even Conor McGregor hits hits desperation takedowns. It's true. It's true. Conor McGregor, you push it, you punish him. He's not there to try to swing back and have a mad wild brawl. Or he did when he used to fight. 
Yeah, then well, there's that. Um, yeah. Any anyway, great performance from Cashewara. She's on a run now. I can't believe it. She's gonna be like Molly McCann, who she's lost to. But, you know, they're both suddenly nipping at the edges of the top fifteen. Gonna start getting fights that really test them in the near future. Again, they've both right. had their losses, you know, being tested in the past. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout. Gerald Mearshart, Bruno Silva, and GM3. My God. I mean, I've known, we have seen over the years, GM3, Gerald Mearshart has built a nice, crafty, surprising little kickboxing game. You know, he's got some hard body kicks. He's got some slick, you know, he's got some decent hands. If you can't really catch him on the feet, we saw against... Uh, I mean, this ain't the, nothing new, though, Zing. Like, he's had this since he stopped Eric Spicely back in 2017 with the body kick. He's a Rufus Sport product, man. Yeah, but he, he, back then, it was just the body kick. Around the Duran win fight, that was where suddenly, like... Oh, when you've got an opponent who doesn't have the reach to really connect with you, suddenly Mearshart's out there boxing win up. And that was a little torn, corner turned just at the moment for Ian Heinish and Hamzat Jemayev to come out and smoke him with instant KOs, back-to-back right. fights. Right. But then we saw, like, the Mahmoud Muradov fight. He gets dialed up a bit, but he just keeps... You know, he's doing all the right things. He's making the right reads, and he claws his way back into that fight. And then now you have this Yatko fight, or he loses the Yatko fight, and then he bounces back with this fight. And, like, Bruno Silva just never had a chance in this fight. Mm-hmm. This was never a Bruno Silva fight for even a minute. No, Mearshart uh, played this so smart. He, right right away, was going for his patented body kicks. Yeah. And they were doing damage. Silva was yeah. getting hurt by them. So much so that by the third round, they had accumulated so much that his arms just started to drop lower and lower and lower. And that's when that left hook came and sat his ass down. And then if Mearshart gets you down and your neck exposed like that, he's going to grab it and he's going to strangle you. Especially late in fights. Nobody is better at submitting people late in fights than Gerald Mearshart. Like, he is the master of when you are ready to quit, he will be right there to finish you. No question. Oh, yeah. I mean, the three in GM3 stands for the third round. (laughs) I don't know if you know this. You know what? Learn something new every day. Great, great win for for Mearshart. Um, Keeps him right there floating around the edges of the top 15. Although, wildly, after the bout, he calls out Andre Petrosky. And, like, I mean, that is, if you're Petrosky, you are jumping at that. If you're the UFC, you're like, well, okay, we don't have to think about it. We'll just do that. But it's kind of wild for GM3 because this is a much, like, cooler win that should keep him right around, like, you know, fighting the dude like Joaquin Buckley or somebody else, like right nipping at the edges of Nasruddin Imovov or something, you know? Like This is nip- probably the most complete performance I've ever seen at a GM, to yeah. be honest. 
Yeah, uh, Petrovsky fight just feels like a step, big step down to me. This but. felt kind of like a Nate Diaz fight. Like you strike yeah. your opponent so bad to where you get him in a position to submit him. Yep. A great win for him. I expect he'll get that Petrovsky fight next and probably win it. I mean, you would hope after a performance like this, but it's a big risk. It's a it's a no win. It's a it is a all risk no reward situation for Mirshart to put himself in. So I'm a little surprised at that. He's a, he's a thug though. He does he what is. he wants. He will. Yeah, he dude marches to his own drummer. He has his own things to prove. I think he's probably a fighter who realized a while ago that probably not going to be a, t- a champion you know not maybe not giving up on the dream but like he's got other stuff he's a, to he's do. he's a prize fighter he's a prize yeah. fighting journeyman he is a prize fighter he's out there looking for fights that have meaning to him and i think petrovsky's saying that he wanted to prove he's the best grappler in the middleweight division by beating mirchard you know it's giving mirchard a chip on his shoulder he's got something he wants to prove all right that brings us to a woman's uh, catchweight bout, 120 pounds, Angela Hill, Lupita Godinez. And Godinez absolutely went out, stormed Hill in the first round, put hands on her, beat her up, and credit to Hill, like for a minute or two minutes in the first round. And credit to Hill, she collected herself, and she fought her way right back into this fight and pretty much kind of won it all the rest of the way. Like, she got hurt bad enough in round one that I wasn't going to give her that. But she got the decision off winning the last half of round one, round two, and then round three. Yeah, so I was shocked at the betting odds here. Luffy was such a massive favorite with Hill having a massive underdog underdog line. And I'm like, what? Like, Luffy has never fought anyone like Angela Hill. She's never proven that she can beat someone of this caliber. And Hill, like, look at her resume and, like, who she's fought. Like, she's seen everything that Lupe has, Angela Hill has seen before. She's lost to that style before, but I was, I was, this should have been way tighter. Way tighter than mine. I was picking Hill here all the way. And then the fight started, and she got rocked, and I was like, well, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I was saying, I was saying, like, man, Godinez, if she can get takedowns, she can probably steal out a couple rounds. But if she can't get takedowns, Hill has a clear path to victory here. And that's really the question is, like, can Godinez take Hill down and out-wrestle her? And, like, just like you, the first couple of minutes, I'm like, well, maybe maybe she's just going to out-punch her. I don't know. But that kind of ended up being the truth. It's just... Godinez was happy to just try to... I mean, I don't even know if it was happy. She just could not find her way to Hill's hips. And without that, she slowly started falling behind in all the striking exchanges. She surprised Hill straight out of the gate. But even then, like, her early success, she pretty quickly ran out of ideas standing. And yeah. It seemed like she surprised herself yeah. with, with hurting Hill right away. Yeah, and she just she pretty quickly got to a point where she was just kind of, she was tracking Hill. She was in a fight. She made it. She was not ever, she never let off the hook or make the fight easy, but she didn't have a lot of things to offer other than a one, two to bring to Hill every time. And sometimes it would land and work really well for a couple minutes. And then other times Hill would just come back with like a flying knee and a low kick and a jab and other stuff and just build a little lead all throughout the rest of the fight that Godinez could never 
catch up to and reassert and change the momentum of. Hill was even getting takedowns of her own. Yeah, yeah. She's just a different caliber fighter. And I think Loopy just needs to do uh, some just more training on the phase shifting and learning how to use her strikes to set up her takedowns. I think that would serve her really well instead of doing one or the other. It's just wild to see because it's rare that you see a fighter look so a huge world beyond their competition in their previous fight and then take a good step up, but like not look anywhere, any not show any of the skills that got them the win last time out, you know? Yeah, but massive step up. Yeah, it's it's weird because it, you know this. Seeing this, I remember seeing the Carnalasi fight and being like, I can't believe this fighter lost to Luana Carolina. And now seeing this fight, it's like, yeah, of course, this is the exact same fighter that lost to Luana Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, so just kind of a weird. There's something going on with Godinez where she needs to find a. This is a step up, but she also just needs to figure out how her, she wants her game to function. Right. It just didn't look like she was, she was, it didn't look like she was pressing any of the same kind of fight that she had her last time out. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Martin Boudet, Lucas Bresky, and um, Bresky got robbed. I'm just going to say it. Plain and simple. Bresky got robbed. Yeah, so I picked Boudet going in. I, I thought he was just too massive and, and too yep. tough. Yep. Uh, I gave Bresky the first two rounds, and yep. he didn't win the decision. Pretty nope. crazy. Yep. And this is not one of those, like, oh, yeah. I mean, I saw some people being like, yeah, but his leg kicks landed. They were the big thing. It's like, okay, you know what? Both of them? And when leg kicks, when you're going to count strikes like that, as like, oh, those are the dynamic, you know, those are the big damaging strikes of the round. For me, low kicks, ha- they have to change the dynamic of the fight, you know? Like, the low kicks Nina Nunes is landing on Cynthia Calvillo, those changed the way Cynthia Calvillo fought. They were a problem for Calvillo that she had to start addressing. The low kicks Boudé landed on Bresky. Yeah, they looked like they hurt. They looked like they were hard, but they did not for one second change the dynamic of this fight at all. I don't think they necessarily need to change the dynamic. They just need to cause damage. And there weren't that many thrown in the second round for me to be like, oh, yeah, that was enough for him to win when when he's getting pieced up with the volume. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's like, how do you know that a low kick caused damage if it didn't, if it doesn't? change the way the opponent fights if they're not tender on their front foot they're not shifting stances if they're not like if they're not wearing something out of it then how do you know that that's the most damaging strike when they're getting outlanded two to one it's it's absurd i'm willing to give boudet the third round it was a close round but i thought yeah okay he's He's finally worn Bresky down to a point where the pace is similar enough that his heavier shots are worth more. But for the he was two, making Bresky miss a lot. Like yeah, he was missing a lot. He was throwing a lot, but he was missing yeah. a lot too. But for the first two rounds, 
Presky's just doubling up on him, going to the body, landing his own low kicks, landing all sorts of punches to the head, flurrying in combination. It was just better work for two rounds. I'm willing to call all sorts of fights close enough for the judges to to score however they want. This is a robbery. I'm, just nope, I, say I, I'm with you on that. I'll, I'll yeah. go that far for sure. Just bad judging shouldn't work that way. And uh, yeah, I don't understand it. So I, I almost think that they just had to have read the wrong name or something. You know? <laughs> anyway, uh, let, we'll just move on because there's nothing else to, to say about that fight. It's not like any of them, either of them put on a performance where you're like, oh, yeah, well, Bobreski. It right. was a robbery, and he looks like a world beater. No, he just he outworked him for a couple rounds and then started to slow down. Whatever. Um, that brings us to a women's flyweight bout. Nina Nunes, Cynthia Calvillo, and um, yeah, this... I had nothing but questions going into this fight for both fighters, and... Uh, this answered them mostly that it was a lot easier for Nina Nunes to find something like the form she's had in the past than it is for Cynthia Calvillo to entirely retune her style to something that clearly wins rounds. And maybe Calvillo can do it someday, but it's going to be all hard work until it happens. Cause yeah, I wrote her off a long time ago. Yeah, W. She just, she didn't do anything. She, she tried, and you know, people. I saw people being like, "Oh, she should have stayed with Team Alpha Male and what?" But no, Team Alpha Male, and whatever she was at before that, that brought her to this point. For years, she got built into this idea of an outboxing striking style, where she could be this like busy range striker, who constantly took her own steam off her strikes fading out of the pocket and was thus also disconnected from any kind of wrestling game. Like if you're pulling back on your punches, you're not able to, you're not going to be able to shoot off that either. And it got to the point that it was bad enough that Jessica Andrade just went out there and just walked through her was just like, you can't, put any power on anything and you can't threaten me with takedowns, I am just going to go out there and hammer you until you're done. And it's left her reeling. It's left her trying to adjust and trying to figure out, okay, how do I build a game that works? And she hasn't figured it out yet. She might get her walking papers. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. And Nunez retired. Yeah, what a great ride into the sunset for Nina Nunez. Comes out has some power on her low kicks, gets to, you know, throw a few big wide power hooks like she used to, and uh, gets taken down and, you know, loses one round in there, but does enough to come back and uh, get a a win, ride off into the sunset on a victory and go, you know, grow her family the way she wants to. Yeah. So, like, whatever, whatever uh, space you're at in your professional MMA career, if you if you walk away from the sport on your own terms and on a win, I yeah. am beyond stoked. Like, yep. we see, we constantly see see fighters fight way past their prime, way past their shelf life, just get the snot beat out of them, and then like that's the end. It's just this abysmal walk away from the sport. 
And so seeing anybody go out with a win and on top of their respective game is it's a win for all of us. Yeah. She put in 12 got solid years of fighting and, you know, something like she said, she started on a, as a hobby, just like messing around with it. And it turned into a whole career and, you know, now she gets to go coach people and have more kids and hang out with uh, one of the best, uh, you know, women's uh, women MMA fighters in the in the world in history. So yeah, good honor. Good honor. Yeah, great great win for her. And yeah, for Calvillo, like I say, it's just she's in the thick of something. Maybe maybe there's enough time for her to turn it around with a lot Damn. more. But at 35, they're both they're both leaving the UFC. How about that? Yeah, yeah. 35 for Cynthia Calvillo. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I just don't know. Like you, you, she may have be, it may be too little, too late, too late to try to course correct for somebody who, when she got to the promotion, seemed like she had all the, all the potential behind her for success. Oh, well. Yeah. Happens. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Gabriel Benitez, Charlie Oliveros, an absolute slobber knocker. Just a ridiculous wild fight for three and a half minutes. Ontiveros with all the axe kicks. Benitez with all the clinical one, two, low kicks, body kicks, chopping, you know, kickboxing he has. And then he knees Ontiveros in the groin. And ref steps in, gives him a quick break. Benitez comes out and absolutely just knocks Onavero silly with a hook and then picks him up and slams him through the mat. And that's pretty much the end of the fight. Yeah, he spiked him like a football. Yeah, absolutely. It was like he just scored a touchdown, spiked him right to the canvas and finished him off with some nasty ground and pound. Yeah. Excellent way to combat such a funky unorthodox style. Mm-hmm. Everybody's done it to Ontiveros too. Like, Kevin Holland hurt hurt Ontiveros' neck, spiking him. Steve Garcia got a couple of slamming takedowns to get into mount and finish that fight. And then Gabriel Benitez comes out there and just does it all over again. Like, I, you know, there's so something Zane, about Ontiveros. Zane, yeah. you know how, like, some people just have a punchable face? Yeah, yeah. Maybe Ontiveros just has a slammable body. <laughs> yeah, there's something about Ontiveros, his aura, something in his spirit. The chakras are aligned. It just says, <laughs> I am a dude that you can slam into next week every time. And even even kickboxers, even a dude like Gabriel Benitez is out there. He just sees it. It's just it resonates so hard that like the most hardened striker in the world would just go out there and start throwing Charlie Oliveros around. You kind of have to put this on the matchmakers because, uh, didn't, didn't he win by a slam before? Gabriel Benitez? Benitez? Yeah, he did. Uh, they, they knew what they were doing. Oh, Umberto, yeah. They knew yeah. what they were doing here. Yeah. Fun fight. Keeps uh, Gabriel Benitez right back in more fun fights for Charlie Oliveros. I mean, the UFC might keep him. He's had three fights in the UFC. They have all been thrilling. They have all been an absolute blast. They book him for a fight next month. I will watch that fight. But uh, otherwise, I wouldn't also be surprised if this is just the end of his UFC run. Yeah, they'll probably get him one more. It's usually four. 
he's very much a guy, a guy signed in the midst of the pandemic when they just needed everybody. And uh, he's been a lot of fun while he's been here, but he's not getting wins. All right, that brings us to a flyweight bout. Tyson Nam, Ode Osborne. Had I, I had significant doubts that Tyson Ode Osborne had been KO'd once, and I was like, you know, I think he can survive and just outwork Tyson Nam to a win. And uh, Tyson Nam was just like, nope, he can outwork me for two minutes and forty-five seconds. That's it. Yeah, I mean that's Nam. If you can't, if you give yeah. him a chance to land his right, you're going to sleep. Yep. That's one his of the whole, few flyweights out game. there who can do it. Yeah, his whole game is the, is finding a way to land the right hand. And this is when Bisping and DC got into it about yeah, Nam yeah. smiling. And it's like Nam's always smiling when he's having a good time out there. Yeah, it's true. He is a dude who just. I mean, you have to love to scrap if you're going to be a flyweight who fights like that, because every fight he has, he's going to have dudes just teeing off on him and just absolutely dialing him up and outworking him for every second until he wins. That's every Tyson Nam fight. He has to love to get hit. He has to love to, to be in the middle of a firefight. There's no other way for him to fight with this pressure counterpunching style like that at flyweight where everybody is fast and everybody is busy. Can you imagine being in a division where everyone is fast and everyone is busy at the age of 38? No. Like, he's pushing 40 in, like, yeah. the quickest division out there. That's tough. And doing it with, like, Dan Henderson's striking style. That's right. Man, man <laughs> is handling his way through the flyweight division. Minus the, uh, the wrestling in the back pocket. Yeah, but like, you know, it, once they started calling him Decision Dan, Hendo dropped all that wrestling, too. True. Oh, yeah. Remember what he did to Hector Lombard? He did like that <laughs> head kick back elbow nonsense. Yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, good for Nam. Yeah. I, I, I love to see it. I love being wrong on something like that. Absolute thrill to see Tyson Nam go out there and spark dudes at 125 pounds. Because now you know what they got to do, though. Unquestionably. What's that? Fight. Tyson Nam, man of cop. That hasn't happened yet? Nope. What? I feel like that's already happened. I guess not. Oh, wow. Yeah, before it's too late. Tyson Nam, man of cop. See who, you know... see, See who's making the claim to the throne, the true claim to the throne of hardest punching flyweight other than Davis and Figueredo. And uh, mm. I got to see, especially too, because both dudes are, they, they both are, they both are best at the, on the counter, but they both like the pressure. So I really don't think we would get a counter punch staring contest. Because both Can men. Cop wear his shoes. Yeah. Give <laughs> cop his shoes. I don't care. Absolutely. That's, that is a fight I have to see. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right. That brings us to a catchweight bout, 180 pounds, rescheduled from last week because Josh Quinlan was still pulsing for a uh, PED that he admitted taking in the past, and I don't care. And uh, Josh Quinlan came out and, uh, you know, 
Those Rob, those Robbie Lawler vibes I get off of him, they're still strong. Absolutely melted Jason Witt with a left hook out of the gate in round one. You know, this is just poor, poor uh, kicking technique from Witt. He yeah. he threw a kick, and when you're throwing kicks, traditionally you turn your shoulder with the same side you're kicking with, and that's your seatbelt arm that mm-hmm. you throw across you across your opponent's eye line, and then with the opposite hand from your kicking leg. That's supposed to also come up and block your own face. Yeah. And yeah. he didn't do that. It was at his chest level, and he paid the ultimate price for doing such a thing. Yep. Unfortunately, too, it's also just because Wit has a pretty poor chin for UFC level competition. This is his fourth knockout loss in six UFC fights. And. Yep. Um, I think it's his, de- it's his defense, probably it, I mean, more so than his chin, honestly. Yeah, it's, it, it, you, one usually begets the other. Yeah, could be so. But yeah. his his uh, his defense is quite porous. It is, it it's is a, quite It's porous. a technique thing. Quinlan, though, I like it. He looks good. He looks no. like a killer. My favorite part was so he knocks dude out, one yeah. punch, boom, and goes in for the kill and realized dude was already dead and yeah. pulls back the punch at the last second. Total class. Total like, class. It is. It will still be always hilarious to me when a fighter, you know, afterward is like, I don't want to hurt anybody out here. It's like then Michael Bisping's like, I hate to tell, I hate to tell him, but he totally hurt that dude. Yeah, but we know what he means. Like he's I know not, what he, that's I know not why he's in it. He's not out but there. But, like, remember last week we were talking about Brian Battle, how he, he got the head kick knockout, but instead of walking away, he followed up? Sure. It's like, this is gangster. Like, this is way more gangster. Yeah. This this guy shows, like, like, he's a vicious killer, but is also in complete control of his weapons. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to watch Josh Quinlan. Like I say, I don't. The 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 steroid thing you're not gonna make me care. I just don't. It's not I don't that care. big. A, it's not that big a deal. You you know, um, and uh, yeah, a lot of fun to watch fight. So I'm I'm here for it. And uh, that takes us to a bantamweight bout: Yusuf Zalal, Demon Blackshear, and this was a a a very good, classy, top-level professional fight from Damon Blackshear for two rounds. Sure. And a really poor performance from Yusuf Zalal from two rounds. For two rounds. Who just seemed well, like... He really so here, seemed, here's... Yeah, I'll hear you. I'll I'm just you. saying. So, so he comes out, right? And I, I like what he was doing, though. Because we got to preface this with the fact that he's dropping down to Bantamweight. Okay. So he's in a new division. He gets to be a bigger guy. He wants to try the takedown. So he comes out and he gets his takedown. I think that's smart. Yeah. Come out, get your takedown, see what that feels like in this new division. But quickly he realized that Blackshear's a pretty good grappler himself. Mm -hmm. Better Better grappler than Zalal, frankly. Even yeah, it was it was quite even. A lot of a lot of scrambles, a lot of even exchanges. But he also got caught in some really bad positions, like standing with Blackshear on his back, almost getting strangled. Yep. Not a good look. Um, but I, that might just be a little learning curve for him because he comes out in the third, 
and you really have to give credit to Mark Montoya here for for letting yeah. him know it's a law. You have to finish here. Like yeah. enough of this neutral grappling. You have to finish. And Zalal comes out and answers the call and just starts letting his strikes go. Ends up dropping Blackshear with a liver kick. And that's what this third round gave me hope, because yeah. if you're going to fight at Bantamweight, you better have some venom. You better yeah. be able to sting people. And that's kind of been a knock on Zalal. And he came out and came forward. He's 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 one of those guys who was always going backwards at 45. So to see him come out and come forward and do damage that like that was asked of him, that was at least a glimmer of hope. Yeah, that's why I think like. That's also kind of why I feel like it was a poor performance from Zalal initially, because it's just like th- there was, you know, part of this should be there for you at all time. Like you should have been able to learn that lesson that you were not getting early on quicker, but he got there in the end. He he was able to adjust and, and he comes out of it with a draw in a fight that he clearly lost two rounds. So, you know, like I, I you can't, that's not a loss. It's a better. It is if you're Zalal, you've got to be. I think you've got to be at least a little bit happy to have gotten away without a loss there. Yeah, and finishing strong. And I yeah. think the biggest thing is is maybe trusting his coaches and and yeah. realizing that they know what they're talking about and he needs to listen. And, and, and had he lost, he might have got cut. You know, that definitely would have got great cut. loss. So. For him to get out there and have a bad fight to start and battle his way back into it, good for him. It sucks um, that nobody gets a win bonus here. Like, yeah, no kidding. What an archaic like pay structure. I hate I it so much. I know. And for Blackshear, I mean, it's just, you know, it is, it, it's a good example that, like, it is a step up for a lot, for a lot of fighters getting to this level, fighting dudes, even dudes that are at the bottom of their divisions. It's a step up. In short notice. This was a short yeah, notice fight for but, him. But he was training for five rounds. Yeah, against different caliber. Exactly. Different, different yeah, nerves, different show, different stage. Yeah, because he gassed hard after two here. So yeah. it is, you know, it's a learning curve for a lot of fighters. But fun. I mean, just we spent way too much time talking about this card. It was fun all the way up and down. But we're going to sign off right now because... We can't. Well, I don't want to sit here for another half hour. I mean, I do, but I, I want to stop us from ha- do, making that. Right, right. So you can find me on Twitter at Time. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast, Bloody Open Sense on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll be back in, well, Eddie will be back in one week's time for you. Well, wrong, Zane. I got my uh, Cape Charles Cup race, sailboat race. Oh, now. Eddie will be Maybe. on a boat. So I will be busy with other things. So. Yeah. We might have an entirely guest sixth round next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we will see you later. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Tune in, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, 
The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.